Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Being Planful. I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by Anil Valurapali. Uh, he's the CFO at Airbase, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We've had a great prep call, and I'm really excited. So welcome, Anil. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, and, and glad to be here. All right. Well, in our prep call, we talked a lot about uh, Anil's experience. So uh, for those that don't know, jump over to LinkedIn and, and check it out. But uh, Anil was uh, in M&A for a while uh, on the investment banking side. And then uh, then he became an operator after kind of working on the buy side, the sell side, jumped into operating at a, at a large scale and then at large growth at scale. Do you want to tell us about that experience at Guidewire, Anil? Yeah, and so um, you know, I started my career as you mentioned uh, in in investment banking, and that's a very broad term. More specifically, um, I helped technology companies either try to sell themselves, or I worked with buyers that would want to buy a technology company. Uh, simply put, and the majority of those deals and and companies I worked on were enterprise software businesses, so they were not you know, uh, call it the snaps or the Facebooks and things like that, or, or, or consumer uh, uh, focused products. So a lot about enterprise software, a lot about um, infrastructure, et cetera. And so, you know, one of the companies I ended up uh, working with closely was called Guidewire. And uh, it was one of those companies, um, as we were representing them, I knew they had something special. Um, I knew that they were, you know, they were kind of cornering this space of property and casualty insurance software. And today, 20% plus of the entire world's property and casualty insurance runs on Guidewire systems. So what does Guidewire do? It is quite frankly, the guts of an insurer, the property, the, sorry, the policy, the billing and the claim software of an insurance business. And if you all know insurance companies, that's really the three things they do. They write policies, they bill for those policies in the form of your premiums every month, and they uh, take claims, like when you get in a car accident or your house gets flooded or, or damaged, et cetera. So, um, you know, I, I spent a few years in investment banking, and, 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 and honestly, um, I knew that it was a good foundation and a good stepping stone in some place where I could actually learn a lot. Um, however, I didn't get the satisfaction of feeling like I could actually help these companies um, and nor did I know enough at that time um, to understand the depth within the company and how it operates. So that was my natural yeah. curiosity and wanting to maybe move over to the operating side. Um, there were other opportunities, maybe stick in investment banking or go to growth equity, maybe, or go to you know venture capital. Um, yeah. But really, you know, I feel like the thing that I really like to do is fix problems. Um, and so as you know, kind of that natural curiosity I've always had to fix problems, it felt more attuned and better adept for call it an operator. So that was the not the, the curiosity to move on to 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 in-house at a company versus sticking with investment banking. And uh and there's a lot of problems when you're an operator, right? Yeah, there there are a lot of problems when you're an operator. Um, you know, when I came in and in, in, there's no insult to investment banking or to operators, but it's just two different worlds. Yeah. Uh, and so, 
you know, it's kind of like saying, what's it like to be a realtor versus a, a general contractor building a home? So that's like, you know, the realtor really understands market, how to position the home, how to best uh, attract buyers to walk through it. And a builder actually knows how to best and most cost effectively build that home and efficiently. Yeah. And so, yeah. And they have ideas of what the market might like, but it's also a right. different market. They're looking at the, uh, at the homeowner and the person that's living inside of it, which is invariably as an operator, your customers, as opposed to the owners of, of the business. Right. And so, you know, when I joined Guidewire, to be honest, I didn't know much about operations. Uh, yeah. and, and when I joined the company, I felt like, you know, Priscilla Hung, who's the, who's the CEO and president there. And she's been there, call it, I think like 12, 15 years now. Um, and the then co-founder CEO, um, were kind enough to, to bring me on to the company to, to, to a, be the founding member of the corp dev team, the corporate development team. So what I learned over my prior years in buying and selling companies, I could now apply for this business as it wanted to look at potentially acquiring other businesses. So that was great. The company could, to, could, could take knowledge from me and I had some of that knowledge to give. And then symbiotically, I could take the knowledge from the business about how to operate um, in different areas. And with that, you know, that team was great and allowing me to touch many things. So during my five years at Guidewire, I touched everything from global sales operations to owning the company's long range plan and strategic finance owning pricing for the business and how we price our products and pricing changes, um, you know, to, to, to call it general business analytics and, and uh, you know, call it uh, TAM penetration analyses and, and new mm -hmm. markets we may want to go into. Um, so over time, right, what I got to see was a company that was around six, 700 employees when I joined and newly public, I joined a one week after they went public um, mm -hmm. and, or one or two weeks after they went public. And, uh, by the time I left five years later, a company that was five times larger employee-wise and call it, you know, five, six, seven billion dollars of market cap. And so it was a business that grew and I kind of, you know, was fortunate enough to grow with it as and, and understand, you know, this, this uh, you know, how this works. And the fun part about the role there was generally corp dev teams will help buy and buy a business for their company. But uh, the really cool part was we did five acquisitions while I was there, you know, as small as a few employees and as large as a few hundred. And, and um, our team there actually managed the entire post-merger integrations. So it wasn't just about wow. getting the deal done. Cool. Yeah. It was actually, okay, when are we going to be on our Salesforce instance? When are they going to be an RERP? When are we going to have this product built out that we said we were going to build out for the synergies? When are we going to train the, the AEs to be selling this product that we bought in? Um, how are we going to do that? When are we going to put this in their comp plans to push the product? So that was another level in which I took, you know, what I learned from banking, but was able to understand much more about how do you make a deal successful as I think 99% of M&A deals are failures, actually. Yeah, that's a, that's a scary statement. Um, and so... Then you go from, you know, joining a large company, I, I would consider, you know, at that time going through extraordinary growth over five years. That's, that's not, um, it's not small growth by any stage. Then you make the decision to go smaller. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Like most people, when we think about it, it's like, oh, I want to go into the bigger and better thing. Like, so what, what was yeah. the appeal about going smaller and, uh, and what was that shift like for you? Yeah. You know, 
when you're anywhere for five plus years, you know, back in the day, and and my wife's been at a company for nine and a half, 10 years now called Cloud, Cloudflare, and she was very early on there. But when you're anywhere, you you really start to do a lot of soul searching. When you're there five, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine years, you're like, what do I do next? Right? I mean, because what you do next, you almost feel like it has to be just as good. It needs to be yeah, yeah. You need yeah. to make, be making the right bet. Um, because it's not just about you and your ability to get your job done right. It's also about picking the right businesses. Um, and and some get it right and some don't. And and you have to be open to that. But the thing I cared about was that. I got to the size in Guidewire where there started to become specialization. So if you recall, I just described, I got to be this catch-all group that got to touch a bunch of yeah. things. Um, and, and over time, specialization starts to happen when a company starts to get large enough, rightfully so. And so I left Guidewire right around when that was starting to occur. And the reason was because I wanted to take what I had learned, call it at a public business, and see, is there any way that I can take some of these best practices that I've learned at a company at scale and see if there's a way to apply them somewhere sooner or an earlier stage? That doesn't mean that I could go from a public business to a seed stage company and, and be great value add. Um, yeah. But I knew that I wanted to go one step or two steps smaller. And so, you know, my wife's prior boss, Roy Young, great guy. He, you know, prior CEO of Twilio, he was a CEO of SAP Cloud. Um, head of, I think, West Coast M&A for Goldman. He was at Success Factors for a while. Um, gave me a call and he was like, hey, do you want to come run finance for this company? I just joined a CEO president called Mapbox. He's like, they're growing super fast. Um, I was like, what's a Mapbox? I've never heard of a Mapbox. <laughs> and um, he was like, no, you, you, you got to listen to this. He's like, actually, they're cornering this, this mapping API space and really developer focused and it's an open source PLG product-like growth motion. And I was like, wait a minute, I've been at Guidewire where it's been enterprise sales, Oracle sales reps, right? Really large ACV, half a million, million dollar yep. ACVs and that outbounding motion. I was like, it'd be really cool to actually understand the inner workings of a different go-to-market motion and, and help stand up finance for that type of a company. So um, that was, you know, another, I didn't see it as, you know, go get a big title at another company and go smaller. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, there's a really good leader here, wants me to come in, um, is going to trust me to kind of oversee finance. And and um, and that means a lot to me. And then also I was going to get to understand a whole new go-to-market motion and open source and product-led growth and, and a completely different business model, which to me was super interesting. And what did you learn? I'm sure we could sit here and talk about the differences between the two motions for for you know hours and hours and hours. What did you learn that was actually similar? I think that's the more interesting question. Is like, <laughs> what what was the the similarities between those two motions? As you come from your perspective of much larger, um, completely different TAM, frankly, and uh, and then you go into an organization that's smaller, earlier stage and a completely different go-to-market motion, what were the similarities? Yeah. Um, I'll say that one thing that is similar is the want to be picking the right bets as a company. Mm -hmm. When you're a series B, C, D business, there can be the want to go touch everything or be all to everyone be everything to every type of customer um, because it's everything's greenfield opportunity. Everything's like, we can go, yeah. we can 
oh, we can go. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that was similar, though, was that a public business is all about ruthless prioritization. Because a public company, you can't take on everything. And I mean, number one, the market won't bear you being able to take on everything. So yeah. you keep in mind. Um, and I believe that even private companies at later stage have that similar type of, wait a minute, but we already have this revenue base that that we're serving. Um, uh, uh, and and while I was at Mapbox, we grew 4X in like two years. And, and uh, you know, headcount, I think 6 x while I was there from like 80, 100 to 600 employees really fast. Um, and even with that rapid growth, ruthless prioritization was, you know, a common theme because we were just stretched too thin. We couldn't do everything. Yeah, you can't waste time on the wrong things because otherwise you're going to miss the, the market opportunity or miss miss the timing window or uh, or ultimately miss, you know, that new revenue that gives extends the burn, right? Yeah. No, I mean, and, and you know, Marcus at Guidewire, and so when I joined Guidewire, it was a newly public business, as I mentioned, but it was only handling, it was only serving the property and casualty insurance software space. So think of like your state farms, nationwide, all states, access, yeah. PNCs of the world. And there was always this question, should we go into life or health insurance and other verticals? Um, mm -hmm. Because there's a greenfield opportunity. There's this, oh my gosh, there's this whole TAM we can just open up and and we can increase growth and blah, blah, blah. And we'll get to a larger scale. And, um, you know, Marcus was great in that. He always said, there's enough TAM right here. Let's just stay focused. And let's continue to build the product that we know we can build for this space. You know, before we go and take large bets somewhere else that may not be as greenfield as we think they are. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's always stuck with me uh, because that was a pivotal point for that company. As a public company, newly public, had we wanted to get into life and health, it could have been a, a, a drastic situation. It could have been very poor for the business. Yeah. And so you go you go from there, Mapbox, right? After that, those big experiences at, at Guidewire, you go from Mapbox, 4Xing growth, 6Xing employees, like, and then you go smaller again. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, explain the rationale, which is, is, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, again, having listened to you for the, for the last 15 minutes, I'm sure it was like, I was going to get to learn something new. Right. Like, I think that's, a yeah, no, I mean, here. honestly, actually the, the interesting piece about, um, going to Mattermost and that's where I went to after Mapbox, um, Mattermost was also PLG product led growth open source. So I was like, wait a minute. I understand this motion. I can actually bring yeah. things I took from Mapbox to this business. But the interesting piece at, at, at Mattermost to me was that the CEO, for the first time, I was aligning directly with the CEO, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, Roy was amazing as COO, but it was also great to come in as like the right hand to the CEO. And yeah. I was going to end up leading all of GNA. So legal, uh, yeah. and IT, um, sales operations, all these things. Um, business systems, analytics, business operations. Um, and for me, that was interesting because I came into that company um, and went a little smaller. Yeah, for sure. Right. And I joined um, Mapbox, I think 100, 130, went to about 600. 
Mattermost, when I joined, it was back down to like 40, 50, 60, and then, you know, scaled back quickly again. But, you know, it was learning something new. It was like, wait a minute. Oh, wow. This is pre-COVID. It was remote only pre-COVID. And yeah, wow. I was like, I was, I remember th- sitting down thinking, wait a minute, can I do this? Like, there's a lot of risk to this because the company is already in 20 countries. Um, there's not many businesses that are remote only. At that time, it was only like GitLab, Envision. Um, there was mm-hmm. Automatic. There's like two others. And so I had to, I was like, wait a minute, I need to get close with all these leaders at those companies and understand them. So I spent a bunch of time with Sid at GitLab. He's one of the reasons that they open sourced uh, Mattermost. He was close with, with, with Ian. Spent a lot of time um, with the general counsel at Envision. Um, spent time with the VP of legal, Jamie Hurwitz, who was at GitLab as well. And brought, actually, she ended up coming to work for me at, at Mattermost. Um, and so it was a new experience. Um, and, and, and for me, that was interesting to say, you know, I also, while I will never say I want to lead the people team at every company, that's like, that, that's the right thing to do. I think, I don't think any broad leader of a company can be their best version of themselves without having managed the people team at some point in their career. I think it is a very good, wholesome experience for a finance leader and operations leader to help lead the people team um, obviously with good leaders underneath them, clearly. Um, yeah. But it gives a whole nother appreciation for execution um, and and call it the realities beyond the Excel file. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the human component, right? Like, uh, and, and so additionally, you're also running, and not every uh, CFO has the functions of things like sales ops, biz ops. And so- Tell us about like that. That is a very broad um, remit, ultimately. Yeah, I think. Look, my my passion has always been data and analytics. Like I've just always mm-hmm. loved it. You know, honestly, because I felt like when I was a banker, I couldn't figure out how to get the data I wanted and needed, and like I would troll the internet to try and find stuff, and it was never yeah. available. Which is why I have this podcast that Airbase asked me to host, and I purposely titled it "What I Wish I Knew." There's a whole bunch yeah. of stuff I wish I knew like 15, 17 years ago. Um, but I think that, you know, and, and this came back to my time at Guidewire when I joined the company, it was newly public business. We didn't have a single repository that actually tracked ARR by customer, by segment, by geography, by product, by discounting, by blah, blah, blah. Um, and when I joined the company, they had three separate instances of Salesforce of Amera, Mia, and APAC. None of them talked together with different staging and different stuff, like right, issues. Yeah. And so like, how do I bring those all into one instance? How do I then get the company to forecast consistently? Because the bi-weekly forecast stages and everything are wrong. Otherwise, when you do a roll-up. Um, and so that kind of was what spurred me to say, you know what? Can we bring a lens of data hygiene and better data practices as early as a stage can uh, an earliest stage for for business so you know we are making smart decisions on a weekly basis based on you know the information we have at hand and the benefit for me that ended up occurring was you know this phenomenon of snowflake and all these things coming into play over the last eight years nine years um, which weren't necessarily there uh, they weren't necessarily ubiquitous 12 years ago when I was at guidewire 13 years ago. And so um, it was a nice marrying of, wait a minute, we can actually get the tooling we want 
Um, actually, there's a good, the, the finance and operations leader is a good person to own this because we kind of are running a shared service across the company anyways. We yep. can be bipartisan. We can actually say, you know what, marketing, no, this is why we need to define a lead this way. Um, AE, this is why this is a booking and not a booking and come up with the definitions for our metrics and then script our systems to be able to show those definitions, right? And, and effectively metrics and tooling. Yeah. Um, and for me, the, I always, you know, had the sense that it's great for people around the company to have data at their fingertips to leverage um, as necessary to make the, the points they need for the business. I think what you what you pulled on there around, you know, acting as the arbitrator, if not the Switzerland of saying, hey, you know, like, I'm in marketing, right? So we fight with sales all the time, allegedly. Um, but it, it's it's less about the, you know, it's ultimately, well, where did, where's the agreed upon definition? And often most of the, uh, most of the argument is we just have different definitions of something. And every and company I've come into has had different definitions for booking across the company. So how can we even report yeah. basic things if everyone's thinking about something differently? What about active customer, right? Yeah. Active user. And, and, and just getting that, just getting that, you know, that neutral zone where someone can be the arbitrator and say, actually, no, this is how we as a company are going to define this actually provides so much freedom for, for the functional leaders to then say, okay, great. That's the definition. Now we're just going to work within yeah. those controls and, and allow you to focus on actually delivering the business value as opposed to the internal politicking of I want it measured this way and someone else wants it measured another yeah. way. And it creates so much efficiency throughout the business. One of the, and I don't, I don't know if fun is the right word, but something that I always get jazzed about doing when I join a company is number one, like I mentioned, just figuring out who is, what are these metrics and definitions and things that companies care, uh, the company cares about. But the second most important thing is then doing a data map. So, mm -hmm. What systems are where, what's plugged into what, what's pulling, what's pushing, what's interacting and not interacting, who's pulling what metric from Salesforce versus another metric from Marketo versus another metric from the data warehouse, right? And yeah. then ultimately saying, how do we think this should work? Um, and, and how can we get this to scale, right? Because what, what, what would it be like to have us quite put it simply, a single worksheet that has every data point for every customer, their usage by product, their ARR, their ACV, their paid bill or unpaid bill, right? Their um, license count, right? How many active users, non-active yep. users. All these metrics are, if you think about it, number of times they've touched the website or gone to a help desk or filed a support ticket. All of the things I just mentioned there are a different system. Yeah. Yeah, and and often uh, systems that don't talk to each other, and systems that don't allow then uh, future decisioning to be made, right? So so take a lot of that information. Well, that's all helpful in propensity to buy, propensity to churn. Uh, yep. Where's the white space in my account? Who should I build building new product for? Should I be going but up market been, down market? Been, even in this market, more than ever, I've found that value metrics and the customer usage are the most important thing. 
And that is because think about what it's like to be an account manager or a customer success manager. And as you're doing your prep for a QBR or for your call that's coming up today or tomorrow, you're able to look at what's usage been like license versus unlicensed. Have they paid their most recent bill or not? Have they filed a support ticket or not? What's their pain points? Has there been any change at the company and leadership or not? Right. And then actually being able to come up with your framework for how can I have the most constructive conversation with this account possible to get them to leverage our product in the way that we know they're going to be a better version of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then be able to then de deliver a, a conversation slash roadmap, depending on the health of, of what you just defined, right? Um, that roadmap for the customer might be all about growth or it might be all about like, here's, here's how we need to support you through what could be a difficult time for many folks right now. And, right. and so that then helps give the business that um, visibility into where does our business need to go? You might need to spend more time on supporting your existing customers versus trying to grow them. And, right. uh, and that's really, really powerful as you think across um, that lens and, and, coming back to what you said earlier about Guidewire, right? Allow you to focus and, you know, focus on the market that you're currently serving and, and what is that market's needs. And I think yeah. that's really, really crucial. Yeah. And you can use the usage data, find the, the highest statistical relevancy of the customers that are actually the most successful with the highest NRR and try and find more of those. I mean, look, it's it's data and the ability to to gather that data is just the cusp of what's needed. Then I've always said at the company that I've been at, and even here at Theja, our CEO and I have adopted this and the leadership team is as well, is the company then goes on a data journey together. Meaning how does it, mm -hmm. how do you then use it to make decisioning across product managers, CSMs, AEs, et cetera? That doesn't happen, doesn't change overnight. But the idea is that if you start today, really six, eight quarters from now, you're a healthier business. And so what's your perspective on, um, so if you think about that journey that we just talked about, you know, 15 years ago, it wasn't the CFO that was leading that conversation. It was the CIO or it was, you know, maybe the the marketing leader because, you know, technology, rapid adoption of technology and, and data focus in marketing happened kind of around the time of the iPhone and we could track everything and, and yeah. CFOs want, want us to track everything. Then sales gets into the game with all the sales tech. And, and now it feels like we're in the world where actually all of this technology is coming to bear for the CFO and we have a, a massive shift in perspective of CFOs historically that were not very technology led or, or technology focused to now being more folks like yourself that are extremely technology um, uh, experienced and wanting to drive and own more of that technology relationship. What's been your perspective of that shift over time, having gone through it yourself? Yeah, you know, look, I can't speak for what was it like 20, 30 years ago and 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 the shift that, you know, from then to now. But what I can say is that with, without requiring full pods of employees to go after this effort, you can actually do everything I mentioned pretty scrappily quickly yeah right like actually figure out the definitions for the company that we want to track the things we care about the okrs that we care about as a leadership team 
Um, and then, and then, the, and then really what ends up happening is from there, you end up working with your way back as to what, how do I need to report on these daily by the minute, by the hour, weekly, monthly, yeah. and then back into what kind of, what does real time mean and, and et cetera. So what I'll say is that because we're kind of this shared service, you'll see it sit with CFO. Now, sometimes you'll also see it sit with COO it just depends, right? What yeah. kind of model you're in. Um, but it just has to, it has to be led by someone who really believes in the change management side of it, because it's not just about, like I said, getting a data point visible and, and reportable. It's actually about how do we force it to be leveraged across the company and challenge the business to leverage it consistently across the company. That's a lot of change management, behavior management. I think that's the, you know, if that's the one takeaway for all you listeners, it's that one right there for me that I've seen so many instances of, you know, transformation projects get kicked off and we spend hundreds, if not thousands of hours leading these initiatives and then they're just never utilized, right? Yeah. The data's there and they just sit in a, a wonderful data store that's accessible by everyone. But no one looks at them for insights on a regular basis. It's just, we just spent yeah. all that money to say that we did something and we never use it for any insight delivery or anything like that on a regular cadence. And I think that's the most important part. You know, most listeners of, of this podcast are in FPNA, right? And what are you looking to do every day is help guide and, and deliver strategy and course correct the business to where it should be going for the, for the best value, whatever that metric may be for your ownership, your stakeholders. And what Anil just said there was, you know, that value delivery and forcing the business to use it every day. I mean, that that's frankly, uh, frankly gold. So <laughs> thank you. Anil. Look, appreciate it. I mean, look, honestly, um, I've been at the companies where I put the effort in and it was not leveraged appropriately. So I always thought, how can we de-risk that from happening again? Because forget yeah. about myself and it being a waste of my effort and my team's efforts. It's actually not a good thing for the company for it to not be leveraged. So yep. how can we get the company on the track it needs to be on? Um, and, and oftentimes that obviously requires leadership involvement and, and everyone agreeing we need to care about these things. Yeah, and and they ultimately help. Uh, hopefully, the company outperform itself on a more frequent basis. Like that's that's the whole intention. You know, when you sign up to do that transformation project, it's it's well, we're going to do it for this reason. So it's about yep. getting that value realization. Yeah, and honestly, that's when you go beyond just you know measuring S zeros, S ones, and conversion rates, and blah blah to a new booking and number of reps and a quota OT ratio and a capacity model. And that's when you start to dig into what is the product doing for our customers mm -hmm. and how then can we replicate that across other segments or other personas or other use cases or other industries. And it's another way of modeling, right? It's a different perspective to take on a model. Yeah, a thousand percent. So Anil, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate hearing about your journey and your learnings as, as we go along. Uh, how can listeners uh, connect with you uh, following from, from listening to this episode? Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, as mentioned at the beginning, you can ping me on LinkedIn and 
And uh, yeah. if you go to airbase.com, there is a section on airbase.com uh, under resources for what I wish I knew. And um, there's a whole bunch of episodes that um, I, I'd hope to think help folks out there and, and on topics that we discussed today, but, but others more broadly as well. Um, and then we also have a great uh, 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 Airbase non-solicited off the ledger Slack community called Off the Ledger with 5,000 plus accounting and, and finance professionals. So if you want to join there, you can always throw questions into those channels and it's been a thriving community for us. Awesome. Well, I love those tips. Uh, podcast community, Slack community. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it and appreciate uh, you sharing your insights. Thanks, Anil. Thanks for having me. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.